Welcome to the Guitar Freaks Podcast, where we turn beginning guitar players into guitar freaks. This podcast is sponsored by Fret Deck. And now your host, Justin Comstock. Welcome to the Guitar Freaks Podcast. This is your host, Justin Comstock. I am super pumped today to have blues guitarist Seth Rosenblum on the podcast. What is up, Seth? How's it going? Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I've been excited all week. I've been listening to your album, and dude, it sounds great. You sound, you seriously sound great. It's, it's been a joy to listen to the, the whole album. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big blues geek, so we're going we're gonna to jump in. And I, 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 I was curious because I was listening to your album, and I, I started thinking, I'm like, how did Seth get into the blues? How did, how did you get into the blues, Seth? So growing up, I kind of had a very two-sided uh, musical background. My, my parents were both musicians, uh, played violin, and my dad was a working classical violinist. So I had that side of stuff, was going to, you know, here in uh, Boston, the symphony had like kids concerts and stuff. So got exposed to a lot of Beethoven, Mozart, Bach pretty early on. But my mom also was a big Beatles fan, big Motown fan. She'd grown up in uh, Michigan in the 50s and 60s. So was getting a, a good dose of that too, as well as like some James Taylor and some other stuff that was all blues influenced or kind of blues adjacent of being folk or R&B or anything in that world never was specifically exposed to the blues all that much as a kid though probably the closest was my grandmother was a big elvis fan mm -hmm. and i i was obsessed with elvis so it's a lot of the same form it's a lot of the same thing uh you know that kind of country blues gospel crossover then uh grew up actually playing violin not guitar and oh, wow. when i was 11 started on guitar and pretty quickly got much more into kind of hard rock and all that guitar shredding stuff. Yeah. And when I was 12 or 13, favorite band at that point was Dream Theater. Oh, cool. Really wanted to go to one of their shows. And my mom made a deal that she'd take me to that if I went to a show she picked. And she found a listing in the Boston Globe for like an upcoming up and coming blues guitar player at a local jazz club. So I think she kind of assumed and sold it to me that it was actually more even on the jazz end than the blues end. But, and it ended up being Joe Bonamassa in ah, yeah. 05 or so, you know, in yeah. a 200 person club. Yeah. And it absolutely blew me away. So oh, yeah. that I kind of went backwards into the blues of, I know a lot of people definitely discover the, you know, B.B., Albert, Freddie, early on, that was later for me. It was more through discovering Joe at that point. And then sure. kind of the next step was Derek Truck's band, yeah. hearing some of that stuff. So the more contemporary yep. players that I could sort of relate to somewhat more on an age level, even though there's a generation or so gap there, uh, as well as just... Uh, you know, production values thing coming from listening to hard rock. I think it's more of a crash course in going back and listening to some stuff from 
the 50s and 60s just mm-hmm. production wise where you know you listen to a lot of joe's stuff or Derek trucks band and really well produced really slick and everything totally. so yeah that was that was the entry point for me no oh, that's great um so you started uh, once you started kind of listening to more modern blues who we obviously blues guitar players i'd like i'd like to say because i do this all the time we go back in time and listen to you know the old stuff what old stuff completely inspires you so much now i mean as i said like Mm -hmm. the first stuff was was into joe and Derek, and then from there like got into a lot of la kind of session players mike landau Oh yeah, Scott Henderson, that stuff for a long time. And I was at 16, 17, 18, then going to a lot of blues jams, playing stuff mm-hmm. and started at that point to kind of really dive into, I think first was then like the Clapton and Jimmy Page of the British blues. But then it was a pretty deep dive into B.B. King, Albert King, Elmore James, uh, Freddie King, of course, and then yeah. a big dose of Stevie Ray Vaughan. In yeah. I mean, I've always been a Strat player, yeah. first and foremost. I mean, that's what feels like home for me. I know sure. I know the last record had Telly on the cover, but that was more because <laughs> that came out well in the photo shoot than that that's what uh, I go to first. But, you know, Stevie, just for any Strat player, it's mm. such a big part of the vocabulary and the culture of you know post 1980s 1990 Mm -hmm. blues to have taken a deep dive into that uh so yeah i mean for me like my desert island record is probably live at the regal bb king i just you can't be a blues player and not love bb king it's yeah where so much of the stuff comes from although playing wise i think i take a lot more sort of from the albert king albert collins sure type thing just with a lot of the bends and a lot of kind of the aggression well and and the the cool thing with that is like stevie ray vaughn was really influenced by uh albert king you know oh absolutely i mean so many of those licks that you know now you see online of Oh, learn this Stevie Ray Vaughan lick. It's like that's not a Stevie lick. That's an Albert. Yeah, that's an Albert King lick. Yeah, yeah. There's the great footage of them playing together, and yeah. it's like you can tell Stevie's like, oh, "This is where I got half of the, <laughs> these licks." But of course, he did such a good job uh, of making everything that he played authentic to him, and not just sound like he was ripping off. Oh, totally. Player. Oh, totally. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about the blues is we learn from other blues guitarists and we can use that in our own playing. That's, I really think it's just such a, such a beautiful thing. Um, It feels like everything's being passed down from generation to generation, right? All the blues licks and stuff. It's just, it's, it's just a really cool thing. I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I kind of gravitate towards the blues, you know, it's just, uh, it just gets passed down, you know, absolutely cool thing. Well, let's let's talk about your blues album. Sure. <laughs> uh, your album, Keep On Turning. It's it's fantastic. I have really enjoyed, really enjoyed listening to it. Thank um, you. And anybody who's listening to the podcast, go download it right now, and uh, go check out 
Seth's album. It's 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 fantastic. Let's let's talk about the opening song. Uh, Keep on turning. What? Uh, tell me about it. Tell me about the inspiration you had with that song. That was co-written with a good uh, good friend of mine here in the Boston area, Sonia Ray Taylor. Great, uh, great songwriter, great guitar player, great singer. And we sat down and I sort of had that main riff floating around, but not much else. Mm-hmm. And that was just one of those where you sit down on a co-write and in an afternoon, a song comes out. Really had no ideas lyrically going into it, but it was one of those kind of throw a bunch of things against the wall for uh, some kind of a chorus and stuck on keep on turning. And then with the riff and that wrote the song around that, but that came, that came together pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that there was any specific inspiration for, mm-hmm. for it. It just came background, but it just came and kind of yeah. flowed pretty, pretty naturally. It's a fun little lick. I learned, I was listening to your album over the weekend and I started, you know, piecing it out on my guitar. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool riff to play. It's a cool one. <laughs> kind of a, you know, one that hopefully gets stuck in your head a bit. It and, does. Yeah. I can hear it in my head right now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. Um, your song Heartbreaker, one of my favorites off that album. Kind of an ex- obscure B.B. King cover that... Oh, that's right. It is a B.B. King cover. That's a B.B. cover, and it's a weird one because the that's original off of... version, it's, it's like on... I have the record. I could probably go in into iTunes and pull it up. Uh, let yeah, me see pull if it I up. can Let's... find it. It's a... Not a, it's also the weirdest thing about that, the original version, is that uh, B.B. didn't play the solo on that song. It's pretty obvious. Okay. Sounded like when you listen to the original, so I think it was, I don't, Blues from the Heart? Okay, yeah. The record. So Uh it sounds like it was probably a producer that who knows with Tommy Tedesco or some session player laid down the whole thing and then just had BB come in and sang over it. Ah, but I it see. was a cool one. And, you know, also did the horns and everything on palace of the King. So mm. did another kind of horn one and everything, but that was a really fun one. It's one that unfortunately it's, and I knew this going in, it's one of those that doesn't get played live because with the horns and all the production, yeah. It just doesn't sound the same without yeah, you it gotta, kind of being filled out. Yeah, those horns are – got to have horns. They, they uh, fill, take up a lot of space. No, that's a great song. I, I didn't realize that, but listening to you, – you played it so well and made it sound like your own. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love. I love taking – I love hearing guitar players take, like, obscure blues songs and – place them on the album yeah i'm since there were three covers on there and obviously look over yonder's wall is one of the most covered old blues tunes yeah i and palace of the king's been done done a bit too mm-hmm. i wanted the third to be a little more of a deep dive and not as obvious yeah selection no, I, I love it i love love that stuff i think walter trout did an album we, and i talked about it with 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 uh, solomon hicks um, and he, and on, uh, it was like maybe two albums ago 
uh, Survivor Blues. And he, he, he kind of dug into these old blues songs that nobody has really covered or done anything with. And yeah, there's just, there's just something about obscure blues, you know, and For kind sure. of making it your own. I, I, I'm a fan of it, so keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's, so I'm curious, we're, since we're talking about B.B. King and, and Freddie King, you decided to do two Freddie King songs. Uh, what made you decide to do Palace of the, of the King? I love that song, by the way. I had heard a couple other friends cover that. And I think had done a couple tours with a good friend of mine, Andy Wood, who's a fantastic guitar player. And he had done a cover of that on a live record. So we ended up doing it as kind of a jam tune at the end of the night. And from there, sort of took it and wanted to do my own thing with it and thought it would just be a cool tune to dig into. I mean, it's a blues tune, but it also has a lot of other elements to it Mm -hmm. and it was another one that worked well to kind of build up with the horns and the background vocals and take take full advantage of kind of the production side of things and then like look over yonder's wall i know i think freddie did it but i look at that totally as like an elmore james tune sure that's where that's coming from and that one i had done look over yonder's wall live for quite a while before mm-hmm. putting it on the record and we changed it a bit arrangement wise for the record but had a good idea of kind of wanting to do that just because it was already in the live set and people seemed yeah. to like it there yeah so to get it recorded on the record made sense too cool no i love it it's fantastic uh let's see here crawling back that I love another, that one. That was another co-write, kind of in the same way as Keep On Turning. It just kind of uh, fell together. Had the riff and already had the chorus. Mm-hmm. And then it was just kind of filling out the rest of it. But you know, I think with, with blues, like I find it really easy to write a bunch of shuffles and slow blues. Sure, sure. And wanted to kind of get into almost that like ZZ Top-ish oh. territory and something in that mm-hmm. realm of more of a rock tune uh, because I never want a record to be one dimensional. Sure. I, because I'm not just a traditional blues player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that stuff, but so much of my musical background is either soul blues or Motown or rock yeah. or, you know, cream and zeppelin and you know the stones and all that stuff where and even heavier stuff that still has some roots in the blues Mm -hmm. and i listen to so much of that stuff that i like to kind of reflect that also on the record and in the writing yeah yeah crawling back totally has like a blues rock yeah, it gave you it know. some uh, some ability to kind of rip on the solos. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Right About Now. That was actually the first song that got sort of, I don't know if it was the first song that got finished, but it was definitely the first uh, that got started for this record. So that was... I had done a just self-titled EP about a year and a half, two years before putting out the mm-hmm. full length. That was written 
around the time or even before the time of some of that stuff. But it was one of those songs that was like partially written for almost two years. Uh, it was, I mean, I think for any blues uh, songwriter, one of the best sources of inspiration can be, uh, you know, a breakup or bad breakup. And that was, you know, going yeah. through one of those. So uh, I think the first thing that got written was actually the first verse. Mm -hmm. And that was just sitting there. I think I kind of had both the verses, maybe even the bridge. And then like a year at least later started writing the, uh, just the chorus. And then it all kind of came together and I was searching for a verse to go with the chorus. And I was like, Oh, I remember that thing I wrote way back. That's just been sitting there. I think that would kind of fit. And so it, it, that one took a long time to come together, probably about a year or so. But uh, yeah, really happy with how that one ended up turning out. That sounds fantastic. The the whole album, I mean, I, I've had it um, on repeat. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so great. And I'm I'm always one to, after I listen to to any anybody that I like, I'm like, when are they going to come out with their next album? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> it's, I'm ready too. Yeah. The, the difficulty right now is... You know, with no touring and no uh, oh, yeah. real ability to promote it like normal, it's been just such a weird year. I mean, the initial it really has were August, like, you know, a month ago, August, or uh -huh. maybe start of 2020. At this point, sort of looking at late spring, but I have a feeling it'll be the fall before anything comes out, just because, you know, in the modern music industry so much of releasing an album how you promote it is go play a bunch of shows oh totally and we're without the ability to do that it's just yeah what do you i do? don't want to release something that can't sort of have the maximum impact mm -hmm. because oh i completely you know, agree releasing a record it's just such a time investment and that's kind of the least but a financial investment as oh totally well as just a if you're putting your best songs on there, hopefully <laughs> you want those to come across to the most people and uh, sure. hopefully have, have the most impact. Were you able, cause you, what, you released this album in 2019? January of 2019. So the very and start of last year. So were you able to go on, on tour and, and all oh, that yeah. with this album? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I had, that's good. You know, I was touring regularly really up through the end of February. I got home at the beginning of March and it was still super busy. Like I remember mm -hmm. I came home from a Florida tour and between like the last couple days and March 12th, I was just doing some local stuff around Massachusetts. I did, you know, a Springfield gig that I usually do a couple times a year. Uh, did another local gig. Then Kingfish was in town uh -huh. and went, sat in with him at a gig where, you know, now looking back, I think about it, it's like, oh, that room was packed with like 500 people right about the time that <laughs> this thing was spreading like mad. Yeah. And then right after that did another gig then down to Hartford. And I remember the Hartford one really clearly because it was March 12th. And so right up against where everything was getting locked down. 
And usually that's a, a drummer, Leave You Pop, who lives down in that area. It's his like weekly residency gig at Black Eyed <laughs> Sally's, which is great blues club there that I hope is still still there post uh, post pandemic. But uh, usually it's like all the local blues society people are there. They have a real following of like people coming in eating because it's like a seven to nine kind of dinner set yeah. gig and everything. I think maybe it's a nine to 11. I forget, but uh, it's been so long since the gig, but <laughs> the only people that were there were there were like three people from the blues society and they were still there. There was the bartender, of course. And then there was a group of like 12 or 15 kids from a local college who were all seniors and they had just been told that they had to just go home. So they were having like one last night to celebrate I guess not or graduating remotely, whatever, but it was one of the least attended gigs I've ever played. And it was just, you know, at that point it was already like, oh, I'm not shaking anyone's hand. Uh, but, uh, it's weird. That's that was kind of the end of the road. <laughs> well, hopefully you can get uh, touring here soon. You I know, hope so. uh, as, as, you know, musicians, you know we all have that craving to play for people you know for sure and just play with each other play with oh absolutely i miss playing with all my friends and yeah uh, all the guys i usually play with for sure yeah you know you gotta have a good blues jam with all your buddies (laughs) hey so let's let's talk about some of your guitars that you like to use on the on the album what uh what's your go-to so the record is definitely different than what I use live or what I've been using recently. I tend to be a bit of a uh, gear trader or a seller buyer, all that stuff. You know, yeah. it takes a lot for me to settle on something long term. But uh, when I did the record, it was Josh Smith, amazing blues guitar player. He he produced the whole thing and it was done out at his studio. So we did it in two sets of sessions. Each session was like five, six days long. And I was flying out from the East Coast, so had none of my amps. Had, okay. I didn't even take a pedal board. Mm-hmm. And I just flew out the first time with one guitar, the second time with two. The first time I had just made a pretty major purchase of a 1956 fender strat that is also my main you know live guitar my number one and probably always will be (laughs) uh i had just gotten my hands on that so flew out with that which was a bit Uh, nerve-wracking i'm sure (laughs) but that is on there a good bit and then two of my lsls the kind of green strat and then Uh the uh, butterscotch telly that's actually on the on the cover of the yeah, record. that's sweet and guitar wise in addition to that i used a few of josh's generally he plays such heavy strings he uses i think i'm right like 13 to 58 and a half oh wow in standard uh so his <laughs> strats and tellies are torture devices so <laughs> i think i used he has this great this nashville company novo one of those that's like sort of a telly. I used that for some rhythm parts, but mostly used a 
Les Paul copy he had there. Mm-hmm. That was like the solo on Keep On Turning. I think pretty much all okay. of Keep On Turning was that guitar. And then uh, there's a builder out in California, Josh Williams, who does awesome 335 Ooh. replicas. And Josh has one of those. So used that quite a bit. Like that was all over right about now mm-hmm. and a few others. So guitar-wise, that was it. For pedals, it was, if I remember correctly, for gain, it was mostly, uh, it was all just one of Josh's boards. So it was his Love Pedal Chula, Mm -hmm. Love Pedal Purple Plexi, and then a lot of the uh, Jesse Davey King Tone Duelist. Okay. Which now one of my main overdrives is is the Soloist, which is the Tube Screamer side of the Duelist. And then amp-wise, it was uh, Josh generally likes tracking with two amps at the same time, which Mm -hmm. is the same thing I like doing in the studio as well as live when it's possible. So there was like a Vox AC 10 or 15 clone thrown in sparingly. That wasn't Mm -hmm. used all that much. Most of it was the first set of sessions was Josh's uh, Morgan uh, okay, like yeah. Signature model amp, which is basically mm-hmm. a Fender basement or sorry, yeah. Fender Super Reverb mm-hmm. in a head going into a 212. Very cool. And then the second set of sessions inspired definitely my live setup of it was Josh's Two Rock TS1. Oh, yeah. That has reverb. And that led me down the road of my main amp is a Two Rock Bloomfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, and love <laughs> those Eli over at Two Rock uh, is great, and they build just such awesome stuff. Yeah, I've watched some demos on that on that Bloomfield amp. That's a beautiful amp, man. It's incredible. It's like the TS one, but it just it's mm-hmm. got reverb, and then it does better at lower volumes. Like I've been surprised, uh, even on quieter gigs, how well it behaves. Way better than like an old Fender that has uh-huh. to be loud. But on the record, the second amp the whole time was Josh has uh, a 1955 Fender Tweed Bassman. Oh, I think actually uh, Joe Bonasta gave to him for the studio or kind of left there on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that just did such a great job at filling out the sonic spectrum between the uh morgan and uh two rock where it gave just that real thump mm-hmm. tones and pretty simple in terms of like miking for the tones on the record it was on the main amp so either the morgan or two rock it was some kind of an old uh, sure sm57 dead center and like i forget what the exact mic was but sort of in the royer 121 area on the basement it was just a 57 mm-hmm. and then one room mic so it was really pretty standard for yeah. everything uh you know used some other effects in the studio of just josh had a couple delays on the board sure uh, any of the kind of weird off the wall stuff in terms of leslie sounds or anything else that weren't real organ were the Eventide H9. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he has a very 
well-formed board for studio and live. yeah no that's great and that's why i didn't really feel the need to <laughs> yeah. fly mine out because it's like well all i'd be bringing is some sort of tube screamer and you've got that you've got the <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> no that's great two rock amps that's that's fantastic so cool i i love i think that's gonna be my next purchase is probably a two rock amp <laughs> you can't go wrong they're they're incredible <laughs> you know i was a guitar player we can't stop spending money on equipment <laughs> oh absolutely <laughs> i can't i can't stop <laughs> i just bought me a telly for my birthday oh yeah and, uh, what comes telly I, I bought the fender american ultra nice it's Those the te- are really nice it's the texas t um uh, color beauty it's beautiful yeah i mean i've been gravitating more towards tellies recently uh yeah. obviously i play my strataton but picked up uh actually over the last six months or so a uh jeff sen who's a nashville builder sen i think the model is the uh pomona and okay. it's basically a vintage telly and it's very early 60s uh uh-huh. I believe it is, I want to say it's an ash body. I actually forget, but it's a rosewood board. Oh, cool. So it's yeah. kind of, you know, early 60s custom color uh, and it's killer. Love it. Ah, fun. Yeah, tellies are pretty cool. I, I haven't been able to stop playing mine since I got it. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I've always been a Strat guy, kind of like you, you know, because I grew up listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan. And um, in my... As as I get older, you know, I, I started listening to Robin Ford and stuff. And, you know, Robin plays a telly. And I'm yeah. like, ah, I think I'm going to try a telly. And I tested it out. And I'm like, wow, this is just a completely different guitar, different sound that I've never really dealt with. And I love it. It's and I've always very soulful. The, the honesty and immediacy of a telly. I agree. Like, you know, Strat kind of has that built-in squishiness mm-hmm. where a yep. telly – you know, a telly with two singles, <laughs> especially if it's like an ash and maple one. Yeah. That is a man's guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you're a grown man's guitar. Like you can't, you have to have your technique and everything just so there and yep. everything working so well mm-hmm. to make it sound good. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of people, the two real big tests are you, you hand them telly plugged straight into a twin reverb <laughs> and you can separate the men from the boys there yeah. or like a Martin strung up with 14s or whatever. And it's like uh, yeah. that one I can't do, <laughs> but you know, a telly it'll just, the great and horrible thing about a good telly is it will expose everything in your playing. So if you're playing well, it's great because all those little nuances come through. If you're not, it, it'll beat you up. <laughs> yeah. They're the, yeah, they're, they're amazing, amazing instruments. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, total. We are, we are total guitar freaks right now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Seth, uh, I'd like you to tell everybody where they can get your album um, and where they can find out tour dates and any information that you're doing. Where can people find your information? So best place to go to just find everything is just onto my website, www.sethrosenbloom.com. 
Uh, you can get the record if you want, still are into physical copies, which few people still are. That's available on Amazon or whatever your favorite downloading or streaming site is, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, uh, whatever others there are that I don't know. Uh, it's pretty much <laughs> on so all many. those. <laughs> and then, yeah, tour dates when they return just on my website. Uh, if you're a guitar player, player and want a lot of little tidbits and licks uh i'm pretty active on the instagram so can always go over there but yeah i'm just looking forward to getting back out on the road once it's once it's possible again and playing playing loud (laughs) and live (laughs) because that's the most fun oh i love it so awesome well seth it was it was a pleasure having on the podcast i could talk guitars and songs with you all freaking day i love it Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Really nice talking. To everybody, uh, we'd like to say thanks for listening and rock on. Thanks for listening to the Guitar Freaks podcast. Check out www.fretdeck.com to help you learn the guitar. 